You're listening to Abroad, where we celebrate the diversity and humility of immigration through storytelling. I'm your host, Michelle. Okay, welcome back to Abroad, the second episode of our podcast. So happy to welcome Atik Iqbal. Hi, Atik. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? Hi, doing well. Thank you. I'm just sitting over here in Santa Barbara, looking out over the ocean, and so happy to connect with you. Yeah, same. I got. I mean, I'm doing okay, thank you. Just uh, at home on a Sunday uh, afternoon. Hmm. So lovely. Um, So Tik and I. I wish I had your view, though. I wish I had your view. Oh yeah, you can just imagine it. Yeah. Um, so for the listeners, Atik and I met over Clubhouse, which is a new app or fairly new at this point. And Atik hosts um, this wonderful room called How Are You Doing? And you can pop in and, and just say hello and talk about what's going on in your life. And that's how we connected and started talking about our stories. So... Atik, can you tell me a bit about you? Tell me about your story and where you're from, where you moved from. Yeah. Um, so a little, I guess a brief version of my story is that I was born in London uh, to Indian parents. Um, and I moved to the United States when I was six and a half years old, under the impression that we were just coming to vacate for a vacation. My dad had come out here like uh, two months prior and I thought we were just, we were out here on vacation, really not knowing that we were moving here and this would become our life. So, uh, and then, you know, uh, moved, came out to California to this little town, Salinas, stayed with some family friends and eventually went to school there for a year. And then my parents decided to move to this little small town in California called Reedley, California. And uh, we moved there in the... In September of 1983, a few weeks after my youngest brother was born, and um, yeah, now that's where I grew up in this little town uh, in the middle of California. And you know, uh, and then I went to college right outside that little town, and I spent a good t- amount of time in that area. And then in 2006, I got the opportunity to move to LA to work for the NFL Network, and I moved to LA. And here I am okay, in LA, yeah. yeah, talking to you on Zoom. <laughs> Wonderful, and we're here. Yeah. Um, do you remember anything about London? I do. You know, like the, I have bits and pieces of 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 memories. I, you know, I uh, I remember like my sister, who's a year younger than me, one like once getting stuck in the snow, and my mom having to come us come and get us and pick us up and walk us out of the snow. And like, um, we had this teacher, a Quran teacher, and he was really mean. And I remember that just, that was not a fun experience because he would like hit you. When we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just the way that uh, it was. And I remember that. And, um, and I remember right before we moved to the U S I was outside playing and I hit my head and I cracked my head and I had to get a couple of stitches. Um, you know, I have other memories that are popping up, like when my sister one year was in the hospital and um, 
she had to stay the night and it was around Easter. And I remember getting those big, you know, I don't know if you remember those, those really big Cadbury eggs that were I filled. Do. I do, I do, yes. The big ones and they were filled with candy. And I remember yes. getting that and like giving one to my sister. Um, I remember once having a temper <laughs> tantrum when I was a kid and just like completely like wrecking the room. Uh, wow, yeah, you have yeah. a great memory for, you know, I mean, up to age six, you remember all of those things. Yeah, basically, like these, like these little memories that I have, mm. um, I, like, uh, you know, like, in a, we were in a Christmas play. And then we played like I was like, in a I don't know, a black, um, all black or whatever it was and playing a star. Uh, yeah. Mm. And now, now that you mention it, things are coming back to me. Wow. Um, yeah. I, you know, one of the things actually, one of my favorite stories is my, my sister and I, who's a year younger than me. We would get up really early in the morning. My parents had this pantry and we would like wake up before my parents got up. We'd come downstairs, we'd go into the pantry and there there was like gum and everything else. And we would always steal a couple of packets of the Wrigley's juicy (laughs) fruit packs. Right. And we would eat them like, yeah, I remember doing that all the time. Oh, that's um, so funny. I can't believe yeah. I remember that much. Like, I yeah, don't... yeah. There, there's a lot of other stuff, com- bits and pieces that are coming back to me now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, Do you remember um, what it felt like when your parents told you that you were moving or um, when things were being packed up or maybe even when you were on the plane? You know, honestly, I don't remember packing up anything. Mm-hmm. I remember we were like, we're going to the US, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to fly um and honestly we only came with a couple of suitcases so mm-hmm. I didn't think well I thought we were, we we're just gonna go visit my dad you know we're gonna go see him because hadn't seen him in like two months he had come out previously before us mm-hmm. um and uh so we ended up staying with some family friends in Salinas California mm-hmm. and I remember driving driving home or whatever they picked us up at the airport and we drove drove back to their place and we stayed there for a while so, you know, pretty, pretty much after that, then we, my parent, my dad, I think ended up wanting to stay and we ended up, uh, my dad's friend had a, a, a hotel or motel. And so we lived in that, that motel or hotel, whatever it was. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And we managed it basically like my, my dad managed it. And then I think mm-hmm. after a while we moved to this little town in central California called Reedley. Mm-hmm. And um, that was like three weeks after my brother was born. And I remember like when we got to this property, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, again, you know, typical Indian or story of like owning a gas station in a hotel. And mm. it was a combination of both. And I actually really haven't shared that part of my life with anybody. Um, sort of, sort of forgot about it. You know, I just wanted to leave it in the past, but mm-hmm. that's because I didn't want to be stereotyped as like, you know, that's what we do, you know, and, and yes. that's such a big part of it, right? Like the yes. stereotype of owning a motel or a grocery store, a convenience store. And um, so, yeah, I remember walking around this property and I, as a, um, a seven-year-old, I was like, what hellhole are we in? Right? I knew at that moment that I needed to move. Like I was like, I'm not going to be here. This is not for this me. I don't want to do this. This is not for me. This isn't what yeah. I want. And maybe in that moment, did you feel a sense of, I can create something new in my life in this country. I can, you know, kind of carve out the path that I want. It doesn't have to be exactly what my parents are choosing. 
I don't think, honestly, I don't think at that point I was, was I had the wherewithal, yeah, to make that decision, the wherewithal to make that decision. Um, But, you know, I, I, you know, like, I, I think I, you know, as I became more American and got into sports and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't until college that I really decided that I didn't want to be an engineer and I wanted to work in sports. But, Mm -hmm. but when I was a kid, no, that wasn't it at all. You know, like my parents were pretty strict. Mm -hmm. Um, They focused on academics. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me about um, what school was like? What was the name of the town? It's Reedling. Reedley, California. And then uh, my my sister and I, the one who's a year younger than me, I have another sister who's five years younger than me. She mm-hmm. wasn't old enough to go to school. Um, she she and I, we ended up enrolling in this Catholic school called St. LaSalle. And so, you know, having, having gone to like a Protestant private school in London, mm-hmm. I think we were okay with the religious aspect of it. All my cousins in India went to a Catholic school. So that was just a big part of it, right? Like, mm-hmm it was it was totally fine with my parents but my like six or seven weeks of like going to this school this we I remember this very clearly there's this girl that got lost and she was supposed to go to this other school called Lincoln Elementary and my sister and I found her and we talked to her and then we took her and then she was able to like go and uh you know go to the right school but then in my head in our head my my, my my sister and I, we convinced our parents to enroll us in public school in Lincoln Elementary. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I don't know how we did it. Obviously, this is such a long time ago, but I remember a big part of it is we, this girl was lost. My sister and I found her. And then we, um, we went to, uh, you know, we, we convinced our parents to enroll us in Lincoln Elementary. And I mean, obviously different. Yeah. So different because you you came from this uh, private school. Yeah. Private religious school to now public school in America in this town. Yeah. And I remember, you know, one of the things I do remember is that like they put us both in a grade back. We should have been a grade ahead, but they didn't do that. Whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I, you know, I remember, I remember second grade, like I remember like all the kids like for your birthday they would do these like art projects for you and like create a book and I was a big like at that point I think I was a big comic book fan already Mm -hmm. so they would draw like the Justice League and like Superman and all that (laughs) stuff and um so yeah like yeah and then in third grade uh you know I went to you know um same school third grade and then I guess in fourth grade I went to a different school because I don't know they you know like, I don't even want to get into that, but like, you yeah. know, uh, there was just, they, you know, they thought that I wasn't like, I had a learning a disability. So they were like, oh, let's address your learning a disability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- so I went through that process and then I came back to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And um, so lots of like movement and change. Can you tell me um, what was the diversity? Like, was there diversity in this town or? Not a lot, to be honest okay. with you. So you felt like very different. And how? I did. How did the kids, how did the kids treat you? Or how did they interact with you being from somewhere so different and having a different culture? Um, I think early on, like second, third grade, it's not a big deal, right? Then, yeah. And then in fifth and sixth and through junior high, and even to an extent in high school, 
you know, they look at you different. You have a different religion. You have a different name. And, I, you know, very honestly, I was like one of very few Indian kids, if not the only Indian kid in my class for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I had to deal with, you know, it was a it's an agricultural town really is known as the food basket of the world. So there was a lot of like uh, farm workers farm there too. You know? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it was, it was like, you know, a lot of Hispanics and a lot of, um, uh, a few other people of Asian descent, but not like mm-hmm. uh, Pacific, uh, you know, like Japan and mm-hmm. uh, China and a few places like that. And then myself, and I think the religious thing was really the thing that like set me apart or like people used to focus on and bully me about, you know, mm-hmm. I had a lot of instances of that growing up. And, um, you know, one of the stories that, that really just has been a big part of my life is I was in seventh grade. I was really short and I, you know, I used to get bullied a lot and I remember, I was on a, you know, the clubs, not club soccer, but like we had a soccer league and it was, um, you know, during the fall, they had a, like a fall festival and a parade. So all the local Mm -hmm. soccer teams were in that parade. And I remember walking back uh, from the parade from downtown in this little town. And there was these four guys. uh, One of them was in my grade. And I think a couple were older. There was like four of them. Mm-hmm. And they were making fun of my name, my first name, right? Muhammad. Mm. And I told them to F off. And they were like, what did you say? And I said that. And then they chased me. And basically, I guess, I don't remember the name of the store now. or the It's basically like, back then it would be like a Rite Aid or... Mm-hmm. or uh, CVS or something like that. Something like that, right? So they chased me into the back of the store and then jumped me and beat me up. Oh. And yeah. And, uh, you know, I, you know, yeah. And I was, you know, like, I was just like... And, you know, honestly, like that was probably the worst of it, but mm-hmm. I got jumped by four guys. And mm-hmm. I, I think what saved me was the fact that I ran into this store and all of it got caught on tape. Oh, uh, yeah, that's great. You know, so these kids get, ended up getting expelled, but I always had to deal right. with that, even in school, the bullying and the and uh, just being different. Right. People weren't accepting, you know, people people. Mm-hmm. I remember like kids in in high school were like already listening to like these really right wing conservative hosts and like being yes. misinformed at an early age, you know, yes. and, and, all, and, and, and I think that's when I, like, I've always been passionate about politics, but I think because I had to deal with these people in high school at such an early age, age, I, I think I, I had identified my politics early on. Yes. And um, because so. of these, because they had these ideas and these misconceptions and were misinformed and so I, you know, I, I think that really shaped me, you know, because um, mm-hmm. there were these judgments, like they were judging yeah. you before they even knew you. And yeah, exactly. They were, they were getting information and they were misinformed, but they weren't even doing their own research necessarily. And they weren't yeah. asking questions and they were they were just, oh, clearly this is this is something different. And it's it's kind of a, um, you know, it's a part of certain areas um the human nature is to not welcome something that's that's different instead of welcoming oh i could 
I could learn and there's, you know, a sense of curiosity. Like I grew up in Johannesburg, it was very diverse. And I always found that there was a sense of curiosity with different cultures because we were all just so different, so, so different. But in a smaller town, um, you know, there's a lot of strangeness. People aren't open-minded and people aren't, um, they don't have kindness and compassion to really learn. They just hear um, and this is like a huge generalization. Of course, not all people are like this. Not all small towns are like this. But um, there are a lot of people that would hear information um, from one place and just believe it. Like that's it, and project, you know, a lot of hate. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Thank, thank you. You know, I, since you brought it up, like, what was that like? You, you, I, I imagine you grew up in partition, you know, apartheid. Um, South Africa and like what was that like you know like you know just talking to you knowing you like how did you and you know it's funny because I asked this question of my best friend she's one of my I have two really close friends one of them Kasumi same thing I asked her is um how do you avoid falling into those traps of like of of misinformation and um this bigotry and this hatred like how did you how did you navigate that, you know, in a time when when there, this was going on, you know, like I'm not, I'm not sure if you read um, uh, uh, Born a Crime. Yes, Trevor Noah. Crime. I love yes. Trevor Noah. He's my future ex-husband. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love him, too. He's amazing. Uh, I've, I've had the I've, I've been lucky enough to see him perform twice. And so oh, I read his incredible. book and it was very deeply impactful. And mm-hmm. and, you know. A lot, there, I, I draw a lot of correlations of like how things were handled in South Africa and how not to get into this whole thing and I don't want to get into that mm-hmm. whole tangent but like how slavery and how uh, Jim Crow laws were handled here but I know that you know for a lot of how South Africa's apartheid was set up was based on these Jim Crow laws so and then you know you're, you're, you're growing up in this time that how do you navigate that how do you how do you how do you, yeah. you know, how do you deal with that when, when you have a, a society that is the way that it is and, and you're able to sort of just avoid those pratfalls, I guess, of society? Yeah, well, um, to paint a bigger picture, um, I'm a part of what they call the freedom children, which means I was born after apartheid or I was born okay. like just like just after so I'm, I'm going to age myself. Here we go. I'm a 91 baby. Okay. So when I was three, Nelson Mandela became president. So I didn't grow up um, during the time of apartheid. However, that doesn't mean that it didn't trickle down or that I saw um, elements that were still there. And South Africa um, still has a lot of healing to do and is and has done a lot of healing. But there's a lot going on. Um, I come from um, a very like privileged background and, you know, I'm, I'm white and my parents um, encouraged me to have conversations. And um, so the way that I was raised is it was all mixed. There was a lot of diversity. Um, And I also went to a private school. I went to a semi-private and then a private school. But there was a lot of diversity there and um, the private school, there was a little bit less, 
but you know i had friends of all different colors and um you know brown black indian um there's less of an asian community in south africa and i think for myself personally i will say even if you are raised in an environment with diversity uh, that doesn't make you to be non-biased everyone 100%. has has a i believe that everyone is biased because we're raised in a certain environment with certain ideals and that's just how it goes often the people that you are raised by your brain will associate with more safety you know and there's and there are just all kinds of ideas that are planted into our head growing up in society um so i believe everyone has a bias and i believe that we should continue to work on that um so i will say that in family and in community in south africa there growing up i remember that there was a lot of uh humor in um talking about each other's culture like if you were english you would kind of make fun of the afrikaans culture and if you were afrikaans you might make fun of the english culture and you know maybe you're english and you're like have a funny like zulu accent and we're all learning these different languages and i just feel very very lucky to be honest with what i was exposed to as a child because um i was raised like my constant mother in my life is this incredible sutu woman and sutu is one of the tribes her name is gladys and i just had so much diversity a lot of my caretakers were from different backgrounds um but i will say that racism exists everywhere and bias exists everywhere and navigating it on a personal lesson at a level when i saw it come up um from other people or i see you know different situations my way of navigating it is to open up the floor to we all have <laughs> we all have this uh precondition to judging people and so can you become aware of that and can you then open your mind to more absolutely i think that goes to empathy right yes that i think you in in i think you you have to be able to like you you have to be empathetic in wanting to understand someone else's experience right i may not have the same experience as somebody else but i do know that i want to understand you know i i i i have friends that are black and I may not have the same experiences because I can hide my religion, right? Yeah, I can keep that to myself. But my black friends can't hide the color of their skin, right? Like I, I can be empathetic. I may not have the same experiences, but I want to try to understand, you know, like what you're going through because in this country, exactly. at least, there's systems. Yeah, you know, there's there's mechanisms and systems of racism in, in that have been institutionalized in this country that prevent. specifically black people from advancing right exactly. like or, exactly. or having the opportunity at the american dream right like i think so i think understanding and being able to catch those biases has to come from a place of empathy right like and exactly and, and so i think in this pandemic what i've learned is that like is this you know like what i what we've seen is people are selfish and inconsiderate mm-hmm. and only care about themselves and mm-hmm. you know where whereas everywhere else in the world you see that people are empathetic and they don't wear masks 
because it's about it's about caring about other people. It's about being empathetic. Exactly. Hey, I don't exactly. want to be the jerk that makes someone else sick. Right? Exactly. And in the same sense, I feel like we all have a responsibility. Like I especially feel like I do. I'm um I'm a white woman in America and I have so much empathy. I want to raise my black and brown friends up in whatever way I can. Like let me buy something from your business. Let me I can be there for you. Let me offer like more accessibility to you know, classes, I'm starting to teach some yoga classes, or let me just listen, let me understand, because um, it's not fair, but it's not the same. And I think that's what people have to understand. I think that a lot of people who don't have that kind of, um, don't have an understanding of, wow, think, you know, things that it's different to be a black person in this cult in this culture and in this country. It's yep. very different. And I think that there are not everyone, but there definitely are a group of white people who say, Oh, like, how is it different? They don't see that it's different. They don't see the treatment or yeah. the opportunity, how it's different, because they are not experiencing it firsthand. And maybe they yeah. don't have somebody directly that they care about who's experiencing it firsthand. And so the only way to really bring about that understanding is sharing stories and having compassion and empathy, right? Absolutely. Like coming back yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, you know, to your point, it's, you know, having, having had, you know, having had to deal with like being bullied and people having these misconceptions and being harassed because, of, a, of the faith that I practice and not being American because of the faith I practice. And I've considered myself an all-American kid, you know, like, the, honestly, yeah. that's how I always thought of myself, right? Mm -hmm. There's that, that, there's that constant struggle at home, like, you're Indian, you're Indian. No, I'm American, right? Mm -hmm. But in, in society at large here, because of the faith I practice and because there's this level of misinformation that gets disseminated into the, into the public that I'm not American because I'm Muslim, right? Because of yes. the faith I choose to practice, but I've always considered myself an all American kid, right? Like, yes. you, know, you know, like I was into sports. I'm like, I have so many other interests that, that make me who I am, as opposed to this one thing that defines me. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's an important part of who I am, mm -hmm. but it's not that it's not the entire sum of who I am, you know, like exactly. I have other interests, right? Like, and I always felt that, that I, I'm an all-American kid. And, and what is it to be American, right? To me, what is it's it to be American? Whoever, yeah. whoever you want to be. Mm -hmm. That's what it is to be an American, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that is my understanding of that. And, and how, you know, uh, you know, going back to this, to your original topic of like, that's the, that's the constant struggle. Like, you know, especially with, with my parents is that like, you're not, you're Indian and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. And mm -hmm. there's this level of expectations that you're always being compared to other people and your cousins in India and they're doing this and they're doing that. And people, people, you know, like, and, mm. and just not being good enough, you know, and, yes. and, and, you know, I, you know, just moving this, my story a little bit is that I went to college. I was going to be an engineer. I decided that was not for me. I wanted mm -hmm. to work in sports and I told my parents, they freaked out and, and everybody, even in my own community thought that I wasn't going to be, they're like, you never played a sport. What are you going to do? You know, mm -hmm. there's always just this like immediate, like, you're not going to be successful. What are you going to do? You're wasting your life. You're throwing it away. And I was just like, I'm going to work in sports. I 
don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but I, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be an engineer that was not for me. Um, and I, you know, I struggled, I struggled and my entire twenties, I spent trying to just survive and, and get these opportunities and, yes. um, you know, and, and, and then in my thirties, I landed at the NFL network mm-hmm. and then just started establishing myself. And now here Incredible. in my 40s, you know, now in my forties, I have a modicum of success and mm-hmm. not, not the success that by any imagination that I would have imagined as a kid. Right. But mm-hmm. I have a level of it and I've done some amazing things. And my, my sports career honestly brought me the two greatest things I could never thought I'd ever, ever have. Right. Mm-hmm. Is meeting Muhammad Ali, who's my childhood hero, is oh, my hero, amazing. right? And also like meeting my North Star, right? Those two things I never thought would happen and happened. And it all happened because of March Madness and because of college basketball. And it's, yes. and it really sucks for me right now because I'm not working it for the first time in almost 20 years. I'm not working the tournament, but the tournament, the NCAA tournament, March Madness gave me the two greatest moments of my entire life. Mm. right like two things I never thought would happen and yes. they happened because of March madness in in and I'm grateful for that but like that's the thing though I think I think you're people people end up doing what they're supposed to do right like mm-hmm. um that's it and if you're passionate about something and yeah. you, the path feels right and you keep working hard and you keep going and you keep going and then it gets to a point where it's inevitable that you will find this joy and you will find you know, that Nostra, you will find that place because you're so passionate, you're staying on that path. And then and then you're there, you know, and um, that that's just like a really incredible story. And and I can, I can relate to you um, in your story about your parents saying, Oh, this is an idea of what success and happiness is. This to us is success. And the thing is, success comes in so many different forms. And again, that's a part of being an American is you can do what you love. To me, this is a big part of it. You can do what you love and you can be the unique person that you are and create whatever kind of a life you want. And that's yeah. what that's what being American is all about to me. Um, so yeah, so how does it feel to, to not be running around because you're the NFL uh, music coordinator yeah. and how does it feel to not be working? I know everybody's going through this, this change and like this almost like stillness and withdrawal in COVID times, but how does that feel to you? So, you know, I'm, I've been blessed to be able to work for the NFL from home, which has been great. Um, but, you know, like the last year, at least the middle part of the first, in the first year of the pandemic, it was really tough. And, you know, like I was working, I was in the same room, Michelle, that I've been in for almost the entire year. And, um, and I just had these slumps, but what really pulled me out is like being able to work games in September. And that was really a saving grace for me. Like that, mm-hmm. um, pulled me out of it. And even like me having this job, cause I created the role of music coordinator for myself number of years ago, that was a saving grace too. And, 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 and I feel like to your point, like everything led me to where I was supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, I guess, I don't know, I guess if you, 
I don't know. I just, I'm very lucky in that regard that I was able to work from home. And, and, you know, going back to the thing about like the third culture kid, like my parents are like, you know, they're like, what are you doing? You're, my dad, especially would be like, I'd be up here working. And he's like, what are you doing? You're just sitting up there, not doing anything. And I'm like, what do you think I'm doing? I'm working. It's like, do you want me to show you my paycheck stub? Like this Bye. constant, like constant, like thing, like, I don't understand. And then, you know, obviously with, uh, with, um, with the, with the season being over, my mom's like, Oh, what are you going to do? The season's over. There's no more games, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, still, we still have a network. We still have this, we have all this stuff going on, but Mm -hmm. it's so hard for them because they don't, they don't know anything other than what their own um, ideas of success are. Right. Yes. Their own perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to, I think um, just there's this idea So first I want to explain to the audience, third culture kid is a term I found about a week ago or two weeks ago. And I felt this whole new sense of belonging. And a third culture kid is someone who is raised partly in one culture and partly in another culture, um, has an element of their parents' culture, but is raised in a different culture to their parents. And so they're not the culture that they're in um, now or the one in the past or their parents' culture, but they're a combination of all of them. So it creates this third culture. And what I was going to say is, um, there is this element, I think when you are like a first generation kid moving somewhere new and your parents are the ones who have made the move. And there's this idea of, wow we're from a very different place you're an immigrant i'm giving you like all of the opportunity because you're in america i've sacrificed so much for this and there's an idea of uh what what does success mean and what does happiness mean and i think a lot of people experience this with their parents um even if they're not an immigrant but but the true to me the true way of really living out the success of whatever sacrifice, whatever move is made for us to be here is us becoming our own people. And, you know, with whatever, like the combination of whatever culture and finding our own happiness and our own path, you know, and I, I think that you have done that. I think, to, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, mm-hmm. to a degree, right? I, I, I've done that, but again, the measuring stick because of the cultural aspect of having to deal with that is always mm-hmm. like, is you're never enough, right? Yes. You, you know, like I don't have like, you know, I, I get compared to everybody else and, you know, like, and it sucks, you know, cause we're our own people and we have our own experiences. And, um, you know, like my cousins had it a little, some of my cousins had it in India a little easier, right? Because mm-hmm. there were of, of means and they could, they could do stuff and they didn't have to focus on like helping the family business. That was a big part of it too, right? Like helping Mm -hmm. out, like working in the family businesses and stuff and that, you know, like I 13 years old, I was like helping, you know, take care of the store and the motel that we had. And, um, at an early age, like spending so much time there, you know, like, and that just became my identity part of it too. Cause I stopped playing tennis. I wanted to play tennis. And that, my grades weren't that great. So my parents were like, you can't play sports anymore. You got to focus on school. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, 
focus and school was not for me right like I mm-hmm. it was just the the truth right like I graduated uh you know it took me forever to graduate but really that degrees wasn't even for me it was like for my mm-hmm. parents so they could say all their kids graduated from college exactly it was this idea of success and happiness in their mind that you were like okay i'll do this because you want me to do this but what you know wasn't truly um your path but i'm glad that you went after what you wanted even after after all of that that you did that and i think that um you know when there's that like true like strong passion to do what we want to do and we see it, it becomes even stronger knowing that there could be this other um, reality where we're really not doing what we love. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it sucks because, you know, like my, my parents were so hard on me. They're like, your future looks so bleak. Your future looks so bleak. And having to deal with that as a kid too, you know, like, and, yeah. and that sort of haunts you, you know, like that sort of haunts mm-hmm. you and also drives you. But it's still at the same time that, you know, like, like, I, like I mentioned before, like in my 20s, I struggled and like I had a lot of sleepless mm-hmm. nights. Where's my next paycheck going to come? And, and I would, you know, I, I had to sacrifice a lot. And my parents saw that, like I was sacrificing a lot. Mm-hmm. And then in my 30s, again, like I said, like I landed at the network and I had my ups and downs and my trials and tribulations for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, but I knew, sense. but I knew that I was supposed to be there. And I knew that I, you know, um, and my like now you know i have i have a, some level of success and i've done some amazing things and mm-hmm. you know one of the one of the things for me michelle is that like i, I was a huge fan of the nfl as growing up as a kid huge 49er fan so watch them mm-hmm. religiously and then to be able to work the, you know i've worked a couple of super bowls before but to work the super bowl for the NFL was like, that was like a check mark for me. Cause that's the dream, right. Amazing. To work the biggest, you know, like, so there's been modicum of success, right. Not to the level that I would want, but like, in if, if I were to measure myself, like, I think I did well for myself, you know, like I don't have, you no, know, oh, I don't yeah, have all the, the big house and like the fancy cars or anything. But I think, I think, I think I've, I've, I've made it. I've, I've gotten to this point, you know, like hard work and, um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, that's, you should be proud of yourself. You yeah. But so again, it's that cultural thing, right? But yeah, I, yes, mm-hmm, I understand. I, I know, I know your dad, like, you know, you, you work in music and you're a tour mm-hmm. manager and same thing you have to deal with is your dad loves music, but he's also like, you should do business. Yeah. So how, do you, how do you navigate that? In, yeah. Uh, um, well, the thing is, my dad, um, he was a big businessman, but he loved music and music was a big part of our lives growing up. And his idea, which would be a lot of ideas of, you know, any parent is I want you to land in something where you have all the security and where you can be successful. That's like the big idea of it. So finishing high school, um, he said, oh, why don't you go to college and study business administration or do something like, you know, marketing or whatever it might be, but that's what you should do. 
And I just knew that I wanted to work in the music industry. I knew from age 15, actually, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So I went to school and I studied um, in college. I did sound engineering and music business. And to him, it was like, well, what are you doing this for? Like, what are you going to do? Like, what, what are you actually going to do? Like, what kind of a job will you do? Like, does it actually pay any money? And it's just a completely different industry. It's something that he has never been in, that he doesn't quite understand. But he has, at the same time, this grace, which I'm really grateful for, which is, well, if that makes you happy, do it. And if you want to do that, I encourage you, go and do it. But there's still a measuring of of success, which is more in, are you going to be okay doing that? Is that going to provide enough? But I eventually, like I worked my way up to working at arts nonprofits and I worked um, at this incredible venue called SF Jazz in San Francisco for five years. And I met the most amazing human beings and musicians. And, you know, I was in production. So I got into the whole production world and it was perfect because it combined my people skills with my organization skills and my love for music. And it was really this funny thing of like, wow, I found all these, you know, all these things are kind of coming together. But the truth of it is like, I just love music and I love what it brings other people. I like the transformation it brings other people, probably in a similar way that you, you always loved sports and you always loved um, the experience of it and how it brings people together and just the rush of it, you know, so that was like, that was a big thing for me. And so I just followed that and followed that and eventually um, had the opportunity to tour manage an artist. And that to me was like hitting, that was like a really big goal for me. And I, I hit the top and I had to kind of explain to um, my father, like, hey dad, so I've actually done really well. Like, I just want to let you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like you might not fully understand this industry, but the fact that I have gotten to this point and I was 28 at the time at age 28 and I'm traveling around the world with someone and I've done all of this already in my past and I've met these amazing people like this is huge. This is really big deal. And then he was like, okay, okay, I get it. This is a big amount of success. And then he started celebrating it with me. But what I had to do, the way that I navigated it was I had to explain to him like what it takes to do that. And I had to explain the amount of joy that it's brought me to work towards it. And also the amount that I've had to to sacrifice, which all in all has been like 10 years of working in the industry and no, not earning a lot of money and, but just going, going, going and connecting to people, you know? So I had to explain it from my perspective and then it was more understood. And I think after I did that and after he saw the um, the sacrifices that I made to get to where I did and where I have, he has this uh, feeling of trust with me now. Like I trust that even though I may not understand fully, I trust that you know, and I'm proud of you for that. So it's it's transformed in that way, which I'm lucky to have a parent that's open-minded enough to listen. Uh, But there's still that like, that uh, almost pressure and rush of, 
well, what's next? Well, like, what are you, you know, what, what are you going to do next? And like, yeah. what is, you know, let's think about this. Like what's, you know, and I think it's because he, he was the sole provider for my family for so long and he, he's a big businessman. So that makes sense. But there's a lot more trust after just explaining the amount of joy and the amount of work and what it takes to get to where I've worked up to. So that's how I navigated it. Yeah. But it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Absolutely. I don't think I've been able to navigate it the same way you have. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I mean, that's commendable that you were able to do that and explain that to your dad. Um, you know, oh, I I have something to tell you quickly. One yeah. other thing that I would say is in your situation and who am I to say, but if I were in your situation, I would get to a point where I would kind of uh, surrender. I would let it go. I would say, you know, it's okay. Maybe you don't understand. And maybe you don't yeah. think I'm this or that to that point. But I know that deep down, if you understood the amount of uh, passion and excitement, and happiness I feel for what I do and how yeah. proud I am of myself, that you would feel it with me. And it, I think that it's all has to do with them, really, because it's their feeling of how they're feeling inside. Like, it's not really about you. So I think it's honestly, I feel like it's quite a selfish thing to put that amount of pressure on someone. Like, if you do this, then that will be success to me. Yeah. And then I can, whatever it is, then I can feel success because you did that. But then how can somebody say that if that it doesn't mean that to you? Because it's yeah. your life, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh man, you, you brought so many, so many good points that I want to hit on. Now my mind is like racing, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, honestly one of the things is like I stopped sharing with my parents any of the other stuff like I don't I don't share that I do podcasts or that people have asked Mm -hmm. me to do podcasts Mm -hmm. I don't share uh the the songs that I've co-written I just really Mm -hmm. let it be to an extent right like I think I think for my part like I don't know what I could do for them to fully be convinced and be proud of everything I've accomplished a lot of sacrifices came obviously you know like mm-hmm. and I don't measure I mean again it's it's because of cultural culture right like success is measured by like unfortunately on 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 materialistic standards right like oh mm-hmm. this person has a house and he's 10 years younger than you and this person has got like is a multimillionaire and blah 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 and all these things that like just and I'm like, I'm not those people, you know, exactly. I'm not those people. And, and honestly, Michelle, one of the things for myself is that I, I had read a, a quote by Dame Judy Gent, uh, excuse me, Dame Judy Dench, where she talked about, she knew she was going to have success late in life. And she found success in her fifties and sixties. And honestly, when I read that, that was my thought too, that I'm going to have success late in life. You know, I'm not one of those people that is going to experience it early, but I know that whatever, whatever success I do find and have is, is going to mean a lot more to me. It's going to be worth a lot more because I know the struggles and the sacrifices I went through, the blood, the sweat and the tears, the heartbreak, everything to get me to this point. And I think I, if it ever does come to pass, right, if I do get that level of a success where, you know, whatever, whatever that is to, to anybody else, you know, the, um, whether, you know, it's monetary or whatever, 
is that I will hopefully be more humble and more appreciative of, 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 of what I've been given because I didn't, you know, like I had to work for it. No one gave it to me. Right. Exactly. No one, no one, there's not, you know, when I grew up, there's not a lot of Muslims or Indians in sports or whatever. Right. I had to, mm. I had to pave my own way. And I had, I'm very blessed, Michelle. Like mm-hmm. I had amazing women support me throughout my career and to get me to this point, you know, my, my biggest mm-hmm. supporter is Christine Black, who's the music licensing manager at NFL film. She's my rock. She, mm. I have my career and my longevity because of her at the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, but, but there's so many amazing production managers at CBS and even my, my, my advisor in college, just amazing people that supported me and believed in me mm-hmm. and gave me opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those people, like, I feel like those people would be really proud of me regardless of whatever level of success is right they are proud of me right like I think I and that resonates with me is that like you know for myself at the end of the day I'm a small kid I'm a kid from a small town in the middle of California Mm -hmm. where people you know their ambitions I don't know what they are but like I know in all likelihood if you're you end up back in that small town Mm -hmm. um and and to be able to be this little kid from middle of California and to be mm-hmm. able to work for the NFL and to do the things that I've done. I've worked multiple Super Bowls. I've, you know, like I'm blessed. I, yeah, yeah, you know, so blessed. <laughs> you know I, I definitely consider myself blessed, you know. Um and just, you know, I, I think I, I look, you know, I I I'm just grateful that I, you know, like. I guess I was stubborn and I, and I, and there was a need to prove everybody wrong. Right. Like mm-hmm. the people that said, you're not going to work in sports. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's all, that's all. That's also why my, um, my handles, Michelle are sports guy, seven, eight, six is because I remember people making fun of me and saying, Oh, look at that Indian sports guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and as an, I guess as an, as an, as a, I don't want to middle finger to those people that didn't yes. believe in me. That's why it's sports guy seven. Sports guy, so, <laughs> that's great. And you're you like, know, look like, at me I, now. Look at me now. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, <laughs> level of success is relative, but I feel like, yes, in some way that I I, I achieved a goal. You know, um, yeah, you did absolutely. And so it's it's hard culturally, right? Like, because I don't stack is. up against what culturally you're taught, right? Because to your point, like in in our culture, it's like being successful, being being a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and I have two siblings yeah. that are doctors, and my my brother-in-law, my oldest brother-in-law is a doctor, my youngest brother-in-law is an engineer, and they're all accomplished. And my little sister, she has a master's in business, and I'm the only one with an without an advanced degree. So, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's like, you know, I don't know. I've always chased my own happiness, you know, like yes. did things that made me happy and. And for better or worse, you know, my parents are like, you're not a good son because blah, 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 whatever it is, you know, like that cultural, that guilt, right? That cultural guilt you have to deal yes. with constantly, right? Like, because yes. you're not good enough or you're, you know, I remember my mom saying once, oh, too bad you're not a professional or uh, otherwise you would have gotten married by now or whatever, you know, oh like my just, you know, stuff like that, like having to deal with that cultural stuff. And that, there's a lot of patriarchy in our culture Mm-hmm. especially in South Asian culture mm-hmm. and just like really does not sit well with me and I, yes. and I hate it and I and it's a constant point of conflict for me you know like it's yeah, a constant yeah. battle 
Um, but again, you know, like I'm, I'm American. I'm not Indian, you know, like exactly. I, there's the, the third culture kid comes up again. You, you know, are your own person, your own yeah. person, your own culture. You come from a different culture than that of your parents. And, and you can take the good of whatever culture you have and adapt it or, and, and, and keep that. But also at the mm-hmm. same time, to your point, become a third culture kid. But like, I, you know, for my part, I, I've always, again, going back to like, what is it to be American? You know, mm-hmm. it's, you can be whatever you want to be. That's a great thing about this country, right? That's why mm-hmm. people come here is mm-hmm. because you, there's, they have things in place where you can be successful, right? Like mm-hmm. in India, if you're born in the gutter, you're going to die in the gutter, exactly. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's heartbreaking, you know? The last it time is. I was in India, the last time I was in India was in like 90, 90 1993. And I just remember, you know, this poverty, like this level of poverty. Like one day my dad was like, hey, let's walk to, you know, your aunt's house. And I don't know whether to this day, you know, it was my sister and I and my younger sisters, the, the four of us. And my dad's like, hey, let's walk to your aunt's house, you know. And so we're, you know, we're walking and I literally like break down and say, hey, tell my dad we need to leave and he's like oh 15 more minutes I'm like no we need to leave the country and my dad just laughed I remember that and it stayed with me because it was so heartbreaking and so overwhelming you know Mm -hmm. like not you couldn't help these people you know like it just Mm -hmm. and there's so much of it and it really changed Mm -hmm. my point of view right because I honestly I was kind of like a cocky American kid right but that was Mm -hmm. so humbling oh so humbling and yeah absolutely I feel the same way about South Africa like growing up there until I was 15, like there's so many, you know, there are people on the streets with their kids asking for money all the time. There's a lot of poverty and there's a huge gap between the, you know, the wealthy and the poor. Like there's very little middle class in South Africa. And that was always humbling to me because, and I think that's uh, kind of like a superpower of being an immigrant and being from a different culture. It's like you understand the value, you understand how much it actually means to be living in America and have the opportunities that we do here. Yeah. But you also understand the contrast. It is very humbling because there is a lot of poverty and there are a lot of people who are really struggling in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing. I think it was very humbling. And I think, you know, obviously there's a, there's a desire to help people and hopefully that'll happen one day you know and i think honestly a part of it is too that i haven't gone back to india is that's a big part of it mm-hmm. like not being able to like emotionally handle that part of being there and also the the this pressure this cultural pressure of like getting married right like i'm mm-hmm. i'm well beyond the age of like you know there's that oh you're too old to get married now or whatever else there's that cultural pressure too and i, and I want to avoid that too you know so there's like Again, it's like these cultures that are clashing, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's all, it's a constant battle for me, you know, like, mm-hmm. to, to try to express myself and be authentic. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to, I just try to be myself and mm-hmm. as authentic as possible. And, uh, you know, I'm always reminded about the quote from the bard, you know, um, this above all else to thine own self be true and it must follow the night, the day mm-hmm. thou cannot be false to any man. Obviously I'm paraphrasing it and getting it wrong, but like, 
I think as long as you're true to yourself, I think you can't be false to anybody else, you know, like, and that's the thing I've always stayed this course, even in, in the heartbreak and difficulty and, you know, like, but also just having belief in yourself, right? Like no one believed in me. And I've and had you some it through and you believed you believed in yourself and you kept going. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing too. Like that's a, that's a part of culture too. Like they beat you down. Like, you know, they, they, they force those ideals on you and you're like, this is not me. This is not who I am. Um, yes. But I, in a way it's like push you further. Right. It's like, it's pushed yeah, you. absolutely. My stubbornness. Like I have to prove all these people wrong, you know, like, yes. Not, 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 not necessarily, not necessarily revenge, but like, oh, it's the best revenge. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, yo, this is like an F you, like you didn't believe in me. And I, now, you know, I've done all these cool things, you know, like I always had that work ethic. I, I think one of the things I will say is having to work in family business at an early age mm-hmm. probably did give me the work ethic. Right. Yes. And, and I, and I'm grateful for that, you know, even though it sucked. Michelle, mm-hmm. it really, really sucked. Working for your parents is one of the most difficult things uh, I can ever imagine. Like I've had difficult managers, but if my parents asked for the moon, I would have to deliver, right? And I think that allowed me to work for other people that people thought were difficult. Mm-hmm. And I could just deal with it like grain of salt. Okay, whatever. Um, but I, you know, like I, oh man, my thought train just derailed. Oh, it's okay. But it sounds, I mean, it sounds brutal to be able to um, work for your parents at a young age and especially their entrepreneurs, they've started their own business and yeah. you're, you're in the thick of it. And, but it teaches you what it takes to build your own business and it teaches you yep, work ethic, and it teaches you that you can create something for yourself or choose something different. Yeah. And the work ethic, right? Like I, I mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a big part of it. Like being able to like, you know, like there was, there were times where I would have to get up at two o'clock in the morning, Michelle, to go for, to drive down to San Diego for a 6 a.m. call just to make $75 a day. Oh my gosh. Right? You know, and, and that was just how I started out. But, but people saw that and that's what, you know, people saw that and that helped me land at the NFL network is, but I will say this of myself, and I'm sure you've heard me say this on, on a few occasions, I may not be the most talented person or the smartest or the most creative but I know my work ethic and I know mm-hmm. that uh no one can that's second to none and it's it's funny because one of the things that happened is that I got laid off from the NFL in 2009 mm-hmm. and I honestly Michelle knew that I that they had made a mistake and I would be back right I haven't really shared this with anybody but mm-hmm. I ended up coming back and and when the producer called me like after the the window had expired and in in terms of the HR and you can come back or whatever right I remember getting a call at night as that window had expired I think um and the producer said hey do you want to come back a couple of days a week part time and I'm like sure if you think it's the right thing to do and he said Atik we know you'll run through a wall for us and I knew then that like my work ethic is not like, that's what carried me, honestly, that yes. like I had that drive. Right. And it's, 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 it's also, it's, it's, it's because of like, Hey, this is how I was raised and I had to do everything. And there was this expectation put on me at an early age. Uh, and also just as a, like a, 
like motivation to prove myself right and like to prove everybody else wrong right Mm -hmm. especially especially um people that like doubted me right and I and I imagine those people that did doubt me and made fun of me I imagine they'd be like oh oh, (laughs) dang he's actually successful you know like um but I, I definitely like yeah I mean it's it's tough like navigating that on your own you know not having people that are of similar backgrounds and Mm -hmm. going through the same thing you know Mm -hmm. yes um but the nice thing is um there is a community out there and there is um there's like that uh, well now at least you know there's you can find that community in your change and in this experience and people that can relate to it so you can share from that place but yeah i absolutely i hear you on the work ethic and um i would love to know what it's like to work for the nfl like whatever you would like to share Uh, you know honestly i just i mean obviously like the job is more involved than this but i at the end of the day i tell people like i get to watch football and listen to music for a living like that's the (laughs) ultimate american dream you know like you know, like I, I get to, I get to watch football and, and, uh, you know, as a, honestly, Michelle, I used to watch the Niners by myself at home as a little kid. I was so oh, wow. like just by myself. And I, you know, I got my siblings into, into, into watching football to a degree, but really I was the one that was always just watching the games. I always mm-hmm. loved football and college basketball. That's my mm-hmm. thing. That was your thing as a kid. And then you just yeah. pulled it in. Exactly. And in college, I ended up becoming a manager for the football team at Fresno State and the basketball team. Mm. And I worked for the athletic department. Michelle, and that goes through this work ethic, right? Like I would work in the marketing department, the sports information department. And then I would like at night, I'd go work in the stadium. And like I, I one summer, I had I had three jobs. I basically would work at six o'clock. I would start in the morning. I'd work in the basketball office till noon. And then from noon to six, I would work in... It, for the football equipment manager and then in the oh evenings my gosh, that's so much work <laughs> no no joke and then in the evenings I would work for the this baseball team called the Fresno Grizzlies mm-hmm. and they were playing on campus at Fresno State so I'd work for Fresno State as a press assistant for the team and I would work basically from 6 p.m until like maybe depending on the game how long they went sometimes up until like one o'clock in the morning oh and I would gosh. just hustle <laughs> hustle and in those days i think minimum wage was like maybe 575 or 625 an hour oh nothing gosh. but i would i would just work uh, my and you butt didn't care. off you were just like this is where i want to be this is what i want to do yeah and and then ultimately that led me the to meeting a person who like um he was interning for the for the the baseball team and i met him and then he's the one that like we became friends and he, uh, you know, he recommended me. He's like, you always used to ask me, hey, you want to come work the March Madness with me? And I'm like, no, I can't because, you know, I'm working. And when I left being a manager at Fresno State, I hit it. I reached out to him. And then I, he gave me an email of a woman at CBS Sports, emailed her basically an email interview. And that's how it started. And that's what put me on this path of like being able to do these amazing things, have mm-hmm. this like longevity. And then also the two greatest things, right? Like, meeting Muhammad Ali and mm-hmm. meeting my North Star, which has basically been a saving grace, right? Like I honestly mm-hmm. never thought those things would happen. And 
and those and that last thing has guided me you know like especially in the last couple of years mm-hmm. um so yeah you know like I think we have our all our own paths in our lives and I think yes. being sometimes being a third culture kid can be an advantage right because mm-hmm. it can it can be motivating and, it, and you, you may not realize you're a third culture kid but you do you do realize you're different and you may have a point to prove and, yes exactly there's a point you to know, prove you're from and also you're adaptable to change and you're adaptable to different cultures you know they they often talk about uh, when you come from two different cultures and you have this third culture you adapt you know when you're talking to your family you you adapt when you talk to americans then you're your own person as well there's like this this change and this shift because you've had to experience change at a young age so you understand that's a part of life so it, it does turn into an advantage and a superpower honestly because you can relate to so many different people yeah that's such a good point adaptability right mm-hmm, and i think especially it. especially now right i think i think that's definitely come into play more so than anything else right mm-hmm. being able to pivot and adapt Mm-hmm. so much change yeah there's so much change and we and, and we have to deal with it at such an early age I think we are better suited for it right yes exactly because it feels somewhat normal to us yeah it's we're like, like okay oh, this is what it is this is what it is like change is yeah. a part of life yeah like, I I actually um you know I enjoy change and I enjoy transition and I can still be like a little hesitant towards certain change but to me it just feels like okay you know all right let's go um because I have just been raised with this idea in my mind that that's just what you do whereas someone who stays in the exact same environment their entire life they are not exposed to a lot of diversity yeah um and they're in the same place the entire time, when change comes up, it could be harder for some if they're raised in an environment where there is no change. And yeah, so it really is a superpower if you ask me. And it is our constant drive because we know that there could be another reality. We could have not moved. Yep. It could have been something else. Absolutely. There's there's this... um, this like, oh, this whole opportunity and this path that's carved for you because um, you could still be in India, you could still be in, you could be in India, you could still be in London. Yeah. I could still be in South Africa. And I know that this is such a unique experience in life and a unique opportunity because I could just be in South Africa and it, I could just stay in the same thing, you know, like South Africa is beautiful. It's, it's incredible. And I know that one day I will return for a few years and experience that side of things. But yeah. um, I could have just stayed there and not had any of these opportunities. My path is so unique and different. And even my path choice working in the arts and, you know, yours to work in sports and in, in music is so different to that of what yeah. other people may choose. Um, so, yeah. I think, uh, you know, as you were, as you were speaking, it just reminded me of like, you know, true growth comes in change, right? Or in adversity, right? Mm, In challenges, you don't really grow as a person, or you don't really evolve, I guess, if you don't, if you're not facing adversity, if everything's easy, and every, 
everything is the same, you may not, you're not going to grow, right? Yes. You, you, you know, and when difficult times come, difficult times come, you won't be able to adapt, right? Like, and, and there, there, there's a, a certain resilience in like being able to be like, all right, I will get through this, right? Yes. You'll make it to the next day. And, you know, like, and I think that's just not giving up too, right? Like, not everybody's given the same hands in life. And, yes. you know, you just, you, you, uh, you play the ones that you have and you, you, you hope for the best. And also, I'm also of the belief, Michelle, like, I don't know if you read The Alchemist, but I feel like, mm-hmm, I have, they, you know, whatever you believe, you know, whatever you were meant to do, you'll do, right? Whatever, however you're supposed to get to wherever you get to, God or the universe, whatever you believe, you'll get there, right? Like eventually things will work out for the best. And you have to believe that things will work out for the best, even in the most trying of times, even in the most difficult mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. Even in times that you have no idea, no idea what's going to happen next. Nothing that usually grounds you is there anymore. Um, there's so much uncertainty. And I know a lot of people are facing that right now. Um, yeah. A lot of change as well in how we... Um, identify in our identity because a lot of people choose identity and maybe just purpose and work I know I'm one of those people like a big part of my identity is my work because I've spent so many hours and so much of my life working my way up to where I want to be um and that's evolving and changing and so there's there is that resilience and that kind of you know inhale and exhale that you have to take in those moments of uncertainty. Yeah. And I think um, there's a lot of self-compassion you have to have too, but there's there's almost like a knowing like, okay, the storm will pass. Yeah. The storm will pass and something will shine through. And it's important to uh, believe that because then you'll be able to see it. Your eyes will actually be open <laughs> when you yeah. see those light rays coming through and you see, oh, Actually, that's the next step. But there is this limbo state in change. Yeah. And, and of, yeah, self-discovery. For sure. And, and you know, this pandemic is a perfect example of that, right? Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of us, whatever challenges we face, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whether personal or career. But you know, honestly, like, if you think about it, we've made it to this point, right? And we... We've gotten to this day and and whoever's listening to this, right? Like take away that things will get better and you'll make it to the next day and you'll be stronger for having gone through everything you've gone through, right? You'll be able to take on challenges and you'll be able to, you'll have this built-in resiliency that that a lot of people may not have thought they had and they have it and it's it's revealed itself to them now. Um, Yeah, so- yeah, and maybe that's... there are things that you know you wouldn't have seen certain opportunities that absolutely have opened up or you wouldn't have seen if it weren't for this change and that's the absolutely. thing like it's um it's really forcing a lot of people to just say oh um what can i change or forced into change where new paths are being created and and carved out for people whereas if you were just in the exact same place um, there wouldn't be any of that at all. You wouldn't even be thinking about what you want. So staying strong. And I think also just knowing that like, it's okay to have days where it doesn't feel okay to have that uncertainty and just knowing that 
there is community and there are people out there who um, who care and who are going through the same thing. And I think yeah. a lot of us have been brought together um, for that reason. It's like, wow, we're going through this, we're going through this pandemic together. We're going through um, maybe moving, not having our homes anymore, uh, changing our jobs. Maybe, you know, there've been a lot of relationship changes to people and we're yeah. all together facing this huge shift. So, you know, you're not alone, even if people, sometimes we feel that way, we're not. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, you know, one of those things is that, have, you know, opportunity to do things that we would not have normally been able to do or create. And one of those examples is for yourself, at least, is this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Is to be able to do that. And then for myself is writing these two songs, co-writing these two songs, you know, just honestly, because I was missing somebody and it would never mm. have happened if, if the pandemic had gone on or was mm. if never happened. Right. And, and just this in a really authentic way of just of missing this person and missing, you know, and being able to like create these two pieces of music that have to do that with that, you know, like, I think that's amazing. That's that. And again, I don't think in a normal circumstance would have ever happened. Right. Mm, that's beautiful. I can't wait to hear your music. I haven't listened to it yet. What genre oh, wow. okay. is it? So one of them is uh, Devastating Love, which is out on Spotify, is written by Kay or co-written with Kaylee. Um, and it's it's kind of got like, uh, I don't know how to describe a lot of Del Rey vibes. Mm. And the other one, which I don't know if it'll ever get released, but it actually... I'll share it with you. Uh, it's called, there's a podcast uh, I did on it. It's my first song I ever co-wrote and that's called Next Life. And that podcast is actually coming out on uh, Tuesday, which I believe is the 23rd. And I can share that with you. And that's more of a pop vibe. And that's the, that's a song that I woke up in the middle of the night missing this person. And the chorus came to me and I created a song with my co-writer, Amy, who, you know, who had suggested I should write a song before the pandemic had started, you know, back in December and we tried to do something and it didn't happen. But again, it was, it was the perfect sort of storm of like missing this person in the pandemic and then having the opportunity to create it. Um, so yeah, you know, like, That's you know, beautiful. like, yeah. And then for myself too, like I've been able to do a couple of podcasts too, which I under normal circumstances would not have done because I'd always be at work or out or at a show or something else. Now I'm here and I have, a lot of time to just sit here and reflect I think and um mm -hmm. just more time yeah more time really and I and I wish I'd made a you know and that's the thing too right like for myself I was like oh when they first started I'm like all right this is gonna everybody's saying this is gonna be done by May okay like I'm gonna work out I'm gonna read I'm gonna do all this stuff and then that all just disappeared and and then at least for myself I can look back on this Michelle and I can say look the, the, I, I can have two ways of, you know, I have two ways of demarking the pandemic for myself, right? Like, or, or these songs demark the pandemic in two ways. It's, it demarks that I did something different outside of what I normally would have been able to do while everybody else was like doing whatever, you know, like I, I created two things. And also I have this, these two pieces that can live out in the world and the story of the songs live out in the world for this love, right? That I have this great love mm -hmm. and, 
And so it demarks that too. So it demarks the pandemic and it demarks the great, this great love. Mm-hmm. Um, and beautiful. yeah, you know, like the, honestly, that's how I'm looking at it. You know, like I was able to create these two things that are so personal to me and, um, and you know, like that's, that gets to live on forever, astenuably. And also the story attached to those songs get to live on forever if anybody discovers it you know and mm-hmm. I have these podcasts too and if every if and if the people come across them they'll be able to get gain or glean some insight into the person that we are right yeah yeah absolutely and there's just so much um there's more space for reflection and, and creation and I love that you found that like you found that quietness to be able to create and write these songs and process yeah um these emotions of of missing a love and um that's that's really special so um if people would like to get in touch with you or reach out at all um or just follow what you're doing where can they find you um you can find me on ig and twitter uh sportsguy786 um and then if you're on clubhouse same thing sportsguy786 and yeah, if you follow, please say hello. I'm all about connecting with people and, you know, building a community and genuine friendships. Like I feel like I have with you, Michelle, you know, like, mm. a, and I think, I think that's a great thing about, about Clubhouse is that I think that it's, um, you have genuine connections because you can hear people's voices, right? Mm-hmm. You're not behind like text and nothing can get misconstrued. You know, there's authenticity and I feel like I'm building a community. Yeah, absolutely. You are. I I know. I feel the same way. I'm like, wow, I'm making new friends because I've been very isolated during the pandemic. I haven't, you know, been out and about and um, I love people and I love learning from people and I love sharing stories and community is just such a big part of my life. And I'm finding that again on Clubhouse, especially And I think there's something special about not having the video on, but hearing the authenticity or the feeling of someone in their voice. Yeah, you can't mask that, right? Sorry? You can't mask a person's emotion. Exactly, exactly. You really can't. So that's been really special. And I I thank you for hosting very authentic spaces for people to connect because I do find that a lot of the clubs on Clubhouse or a lot of the events that are happening are people just promoting what they're doing or they only have certain speakers up, but they won't let anybody else up or, you know, whatever it is. It's just a really big group. And you always host these very um, intimate spaces where you include everyone. You want to hear how they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just a really, a really beautiful space to have conversations just pop up naturally and not have it be just about one topic but have it yeah. just evolve in the way that it should so i'm really grateful to meet you and really grateful to you for hosting these spaces oh, well thank you for saying that i'm i'm humbled you know i i'm i'm humbled that people want to like hang out and talk to me and um you know i i it's you know honestly it started because like you said, in those big rooms, you sort of get lost. And I, I felt like a piece of meat. And then I was like, you know what, like, let me do something smaller. And honestly, I just opened up a room one day and was like, I just, let me see how people are doing. Right. Like, and I just opened, I literally just put, how are you doing? That's it. 
or how are you was the first room I did. Opened it up and a few people came in and out, right? And, and I kept it open for a little bit. And then I got a DM from a woman and subsequently I've gotten more of these is that like, you're the only person that asked me today how I was doing. And that just resonated with me. And I was like, you know, what? let me see if I can do this every day. So some, you know, my, my rooms will pop up every now and every, sometime throughout the day, whether it's early or mid-afternoon. Uh, but I will do that because I genuinely want to hear how people are doing, you know, like, and, and I'm grateful that people find that space that I've created to be of value. And, you know, I just try to be genuine and authentic, you know, like I, I, I try to extend that into my, into the, into, into real life. And I hope that if, once this is um, over and we're able to meet again in person, that, 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 that's the same vibe I like to have when people would come over to my house, you know, and, and hang out and, and just talk, you know, like friends. And, and that's the, that's what I try to cultivate, you know? So. You really um, have done that well. Like it feels like a very genuine, authentic space. It feels very uh, neutral in the sense that you really do care about how people are doing. And I think the people who you, um, you make moderators as well also care and want to maintain that space for everyone who comes in and you let everybody have a chance to have a voice. I mean, your room was the first place that I've ever really spoken at before. I was, I've never really liked public speaking. Um, but your voice is where I felt like I got comfortable speaking on Clubhouse and actually talking about things. And I realized that the things that are on my mind and the things I want to talk about, the conversations I want to have, that people actually really enjoy them. And I feel really valued. So, um, yeah, thank you for creating that space. And you're yeah, so welcome. Really but, but, but thank you for like, you know, obviously like also engaging the community and like, I think, I think that's everybody being brings value. Right. And that, and, and I'm a pre like, again, I'm, a, I'm so humbled, but when people say that, cause honestly, like, I just, you know, it's just a, for me, it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm just being myself, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing, honestly, Michelle, it's the same way that I would be at work. Like I'm, one of the things I would do is I'd, I'd walk, walk through the building and say hello to everybody by name. That that's how I was, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and I think that resonates with people. And so like, that's important to me. And, and, and this, and Clubhouse has provided that, like that connection again with people, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and again, Thank you for the kind words. I'm always humbled. Um, of course. Um, and and thank know. you for sharing your story. So um, I, I, I appreciate you asking me. I know it was a little all over the place. And, um, you know, there's so much more to talk about on this on this topic. Yeah, we'll have um, to do round two. We'll oh, to most definitely. I'm, <laughs> I'm very appreciative that you that you had me on and wanted to talk to me. And uh, again, it's always humbling when when people want to talk to me you know like I mm. I think it, it goes back you know honestly it goes back to that cultural thing mm. um Michelle like uh the value that other people see in you that maybe your own family doesn't see in, in myself or your family may not see yes. in you, you know and 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 I think I'm humbled by that because I think I think you sort of you're you're especially being of Southeast Asian descent, like your, your confidence just gets beaten out of you. 
and that's a that's an that's a that's a struggle that a lot of kids face you know like just because of culture like you're supposed to do these things and if you're not good enough you know like it just it really you know takes its toll and and that's uh, I think that's the other thing is that I I'm appreciative because that also it's uplifting to hear people find value in what you have to say. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm grateful for that. And, and that's the thing about these podcasts. I'm so humbled that people want my opinion on things or people ask me to speak about things. And, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. And it's, it's that duality, right? Like of, of being from one culture or, or, or having to be from one culture or people are like, you're from this culture, but no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a mix of both. Right. I, I think mm-hmm. I try to blend both. Right. Like try to be the best of, 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 of what it is to be American, what it is to be Indian, what it is to be Muslim and try to be exemplify those things in the best possible manner. You know, and again, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm far from it and I'll be the first one to admit it, but uh, you know, again, like I'm just humbled and it's it kind of it, it it's uplifting too so thank you for yes. that and yeah of course i just you know. love how you um you share so vulnerably and uh, i know a lot of people will be able to relate to your story like different elements of your story i just know that people will feel like oh i'm not the only one um well, and that's really special thank you i mean thank you michelle for for having me on and i appreciate it and you know you're such a lovely person so oh. um you know yeah most definitely so thank you for that thank you for the space too so yeah um, of course and thanks everyone to um for tuning in and definitely get in touch with atik if you'd like to reach out and follow michelle yeah definitely follow her yeah (laughs) follow her she's a lovely person yeah for sure (laughs) all right thanks so much thank you thanks so much for tuning in You've been listening to Abroad the Podcast, where we are celebrating the diversity and humility of immigration through storytelling. Maybe you know someone who has a great story. Feel free to get in touch. My Instagram handle is African with a K underscore sunrise. Please subscribe and comment. Illustration is by Tanya Feydan and music for the intro and outro is by Tahu Music and you can find out more information about their work if you look below in the show notes. Thanks so much friends, take care and stay curious.